everyone, and thank you for listening to Recovery Live. I am your host, Liz Stanislawski. Now, this podcast is all about recovery and addiction and people's connection to that. Um, We're talking to alumni, employees, family members, really anybody with a compelling story. And our guest today is Jamie Gibbons. She is the Alumni Relations and Volunteer Coordinator here at Cumberland Heights. Hey, Jamie. Hi, Liz. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So um, I know that your connection with Cumberland Heights goes back several years. And so I want you to talk a little bit about, you know, how you came to be a part of the Cumberland Heights family first as a patient and now as an employee. Um, So I I came to Cumberland Heights in 2003. Um, I was in the traditional adult program and I did the 28-day um, program that we had here at the time. Um, you know, Cumberland Heights just kind of, um, came into my life at a time when it was exactly what I needed. And I had no idea that I needed it. Um, you know, it was very similar to so many people's stories. There was legal consequences and emotional consequences and spiritual consequences. And, um, and it was absolutely, um, you know, the first time in my life that I felt like I was safe and that people understood and they were giving me, um, you know, these solutions to problems that, you know, I had been trying to figure out on my own for over a decade. Um, so that was kind of how I ended up here. And then, um, afterwards, um, we had, we had aftercare, we had Friday night crossover, we had the alumni association. Um, and I was, educated about those things while I was here. So, um, it felt really good to be, first of all, invited to be a part of something. Um, it felt really good to feel like I had this, um, you know, uh, I had something to offer and I was part of this community of people who had all gone through similar experiences and, you know, they were alumni of Cumberland Heights and they were out in the community working a program. And so that was really attractive to me. Um, you know, and just to be able to come back on campus, you know, this was a place that as soon as the very first time I pulled under that arch, I felt like it was the first time I could let out a breath I'd been holding my whole life. Um, and so I got really involved in service. That was really, really important, um, in the beginning for me and still is today, you know, to be of service to someone else really keeps me out of self-centered thinking and, and actions and behavior. So I got involved with the alumni association, volunteering, doing different things. Um, and that eventually turned into, um, a more, um, committed service position. I was on the alumni board and I was vice president and then president and, um, helped to do the picnics and, you know, the children's program and all kinds of different things. Um, and then, um, I got offered a job, which was, um, kind of like, you know, winning the gold medal at the Olympics, you know, it's like you've been training all these years and now you get this, you know, great honor. Um, so I started working in admissions and, um, I loved that because I got to talk to people who, um, were really reaching out and they were at that point of desperation or the family members that were, you know, at that point and give them, um, just that little bit of tiny hope in the beginning, you know, let's see what you need. Let's see what we can do to help. Um, and then I moved from admissions to financials, which was, um, a whole different, really, um, interesting way of being of service because my job basically, um, was figuring out how to help people stay in treatment for as long as possible with 
with the assets that they have. And then um, I got moved into my position that I'm in today, which is alumni um, relations and volunteer coordinator, which is kind of the dream job, yeah. you know, to really get to just connect with people um, after they leave treatment and have that you know, ability to offer people that safety that I felt when I left and offer them a community and a network. Um, I love to build community. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I, I love the fact that um, recovery flourishes when you have supportive community around. Um, so, yeah, so that's, and I've, you know, that was, so my journey began here 16 years ago and I kind of did never leave. I stayed because um, this, this, place and the mission and the people and the spirit is so, um, important to me. And I think that, um, you know, if, if there's anything in my life that I can say that I'm truly proud of, it's that I have been given the ability to be of service to other people mm -hmm. and be a helper to mankind. That's really a very, very cool thing to me. Mm -hmm. And and you do kind of have the dream job. You get to organize canoe trips and, um, improv groups and things like that. And we know that this engagement, I mean, there's actual proof that shows this engagement helps prevent relapse. Why is it so important? Why do you think that is? Um, you know, I think it's, it has a lot to do with what I talked about earlier, just having that, that feeling of safety and support and community. You know, um, I think, you know, for most people, active addiction takes place in isolation and recovery takes place in community. So if we provide that um, for our patients that are transitioning into an alumni, you know, position, if we have all of this laid out for them, um, it just makes it that much easier for them to choose recovery over, you know, former behaviors and relapse and, and, you know, the things that happen in life. If you have that network of people that you can reach out to, um, I really think that that is the key to all of this. You know, um, there are many, many different resources and pathways to recovery. And this is just one thing that we offer here specifically at Cumberland Heights so that people have um, that constant contact. Mm -hmm. You know, they have that support. They have a safety net, basically, um, leaving treatment. And I think if you just bring people into treatment and then wish them well out the door, you know, really all that is is a Band-Aid. And we need something that is a long-term engagement. Right. Because... You know, if you're going to go back and hang out with the same people that you were hanging out with when you were using, that can be disastrous. So this is like this new social circle, um, which is important because I know you've told me a story before um, about driving past a bar where you saw a bunch of cars that you were familiar with and you asked yourself, hey, should I pop in and say hi? Talk to me about that. I did. It was early in recovery. I was a, several months in, maybe four or five months um, into recovery, and I was coming home. You know, I, I, I actually um, returned to um, the place that I lived before I came to treatment, um, and I was doing my, you know, my recovery program. I was doing the things that were suggested. I was practicing a, a program of recovery, 
And I was driving home and it was kind of late at night. I'd been at a, you know, I'd been out at a fellowship group and um, I passed by this bar and I recognized almost every car in the parking lot. You know, it's all the same players, you know. Um, And I thought, oh, I'll just, you know, pop in, say hi. I'm sure everybody's worried about me. You know, I'm sure everybody's worried where I've been. Um, And, you know, I had that pause, like a moment of pause. And I think that's the thing that... um, is the most important in early recovery is being able to pause and really think about, you know, there's a lot of different slogans like play the tape through or, you know, pause when agitated, you know, halt, all these different little things. But really in that moment, I had a, a, instead of just, you know, acting on that compulsion, I stopped and I picked up the phone and I called somebody and they answered, um, which is awesome. And, you know, two or three minutes into the conversation, you know, I realized hearing myself say that out loud, it was not a good idea to go into that bar. Mm -hmm. Nothing good was going to come out of that, you know? And again, that's, that's recovering in community, Mm -hmm. you know, that's having, support from other people. If, if I myself am left to my own, just isolated thinking, I don't make very good decisions, you know? Um, now, and that's not to say that as people grow in recovery, they're not capable of making good decisions. Absolutely. They are because they have a, a supportive community around them and it helps them to be more aware of their actions and what those consequences are. Yeah. Because if you would have gone into that bar, who knows, would you be 16 years in recovery? Oh, I absolutely. I can guarantee you I would not be. Um, I know exactly what that was. My disease was reared up and ready to go. And, you know, it is, it is constantly at the ready. Um, you know, you hear people talk about, you know, this is a disease that we, we basically just put in remission and, you know, and I have a, I have a chance today to be in remission and that's based off of my actions and my behaviors and, you know, my spiritual condition and a lot of different things. Um, and had I walked into that bar, there was not going to be any spiritual principles practiced, Mm, you know? Were you, were you kind of surprised when it creeped up on you? I mean, because you don't always know when your disease is going to rear its ugly head. Absolutely. (laughs) I was on that, that pink cloud, that early recovery pink cloud, because, you know, in my situation, things got better really quickly. You know, in those first 90 days, my family was, you know, really excited to see me and they were, you know, happy with, you know, my choices that I was making and what I was doing. I had all these people in the recovery community that I was forming friendships with. Um, you know, I had gotten a job that was not in the, um, you know, bar industry, which is what I had done before. Um, you know, so I was doing all these things and my life was getting, you know, really big and fun and productive. And, um, so it was a shock to just out of nowhere have that, you know, but again, that's, that's the reason that having that community is so important because I can have, take that second to pause, pick up the phone and call somebody. And when I say out loud to someone else, I, I'm going to just pop into this bar and check in with everybody, make sure they're okay. You know, let them know what I've been doing. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. It sounds completely absurd. Mm -hmm. So um, let's go back to that alumni engagement. You were telling me about this event um, a few weeks ago, this ropes course that some people came back to, and there was one person that had kind of a spiritual experience. Can you share that? 
part of my job is, is hosting special events every month. And like you said, we do lots of different things. We do canoe trips and, you know, improv classes and, uh, 12 step workshops and just all kinds of different things. Um, and this one particular month we did the ropes course, um, which is, um, an experiential treatment, um, therapy that we have here at Cumberland Heights. So we, um, we did the ropes course and, um, that that's something that we offer for the alumni to come back and do. Um, and basically we usually do one low ropes activity and then the high ropes that we do is, um, it's crazy. Explain it. Yeah. (laughs) It's called the, it's called the giant swing. And basically you are hoisted 30 feet up in the air. It feels like a million feet up in the air. Um, and you have a rip cord and you at your own discretion, pull that rip cord and then you free fall, um, you know, on butterflies. Yes. It's, um, so that, and that whole entire, um, activity is really about, um, pushing yourself, um, to get outside of your comfort zone, but not so far out your comfort zone that it, you know, ensues panic and anxiety. So it's a symbolism for what you're going to have to do, you know, in recovery, you're going to have to get out of your comfort zone some, um, but we don't want to get so far out that we can't, Mm -hmm. you know, manage our, our emotions. So we were doing this activity, um, and it's really neat for the alumni to come back and do it because it's different than when they're a patient. And we had a group of women that came and they actually came, um, it, it was a a group activity. And so there was one particular woman that was there and I don't know that she was really here by choice, um, because it was a group activity and she kind of had to come with her group. Um, and so she, but she was a trooper, you know, she was being super helpful. She was holding the ladder and she was on the rope and she was making sure everybody was harnessed in. Um, so it, you know, got to uh, many people had, had done the, the swing at this point. And so people started asking, are you going to do it? And she said, no, 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 I don't think I'm going to do it. I don't think I'm going to do it. You know? And, and I said, well, why not? And she said, well, I don't think there's enough people pulling the rope and maybe it's not, you know, so clearly there was some fear and control and, you know, stuff going on. Um, and it was really neat because her sisters in recovery just kind of supported her and, you know, not in a, not in a shameful manner, not in a judgmental manner, but just really supported her into making a decision that she was going to try it, you know, that she was going to, she was going to put her fear aside and she was going to, you know, just see if she could do it. And, you know, and the whole thing about this, this, um, you know, giant swing activity is that, you know, it's your comfort level. So you can go up as high as you want. You can say, stop and bring me down. I mean, it's, it's all about your process. So she gets up there and, you know, she goes right up to the top and she rips that pull cord and, you know, she is free falling through the air. She's got her arms flailing out, which is, I can never do. I have to hold on. (laughs) I still, I've done it several times and I still have to hold on at least with one arm. Um, so she is just having this and it's so cute and her legs are flying through the air. I mean, it's just great. So she gets down, she gets all unharnessed and she comes around and somebody else is going and she's standing next to me and she's tears in her eyes. And I was like, Oh, I'm so glad that, you know, and I'm thinking it's because she, you know, did the giant swing and, you know, I'm really thinking that that's what this is about. Well, it turns out that, um, her, um, boyfriend that she had been with for a very long time, um, had been, um, a patient, um, here, 
at Cumberland Heights. And they had struggled, the two of them together in their relationship with recovery versus active addiction. Mm -hmm. And it always felt like one of them was in recovery when one of them was using and vice versa. Um, So she had, um, he was here in treatment. She would come out here and she was so happy to come out here and see him. And he looked so good and they had all this hope and they were going to really do it this time and and all these different things. And um, he ended up dying two weeks after he left. Mm -hmm. And it was completely heartbreaking to her. And, and she went into a huge spiral of, um, just grief and using to cover up that pain. And she was so, she knew she needed to come to treatment. She knew that she needed to do something, but she was so petrified to come back here because she was so heartbroken Mm -hmm. over those memories. Um, and she didn't really want to come to that activity that day because she just wanted to, you know, keep that, she wanted to keep her experience here locked in that grief, you know, and that loss. Um, and she said when she pulled that cord and she just did that, she just let it all go. Mm-hmm. She really let it go. And she said now there is such a feeling of connection to this campus and to that spot and to looking over, you know, the bluffs when you're up there and just this being connected to nature and a higher power. I mean, it was so, she's crying, I'm crying, you know, I mean, it was just such a powerful experience. And just for the rest of the day, she's like the first one to volunteer to do everything. And she, you know, and I actually just, um, did a canoe trip with her last weekend. She was at, she came to the alumni canoe trip and she was so happy and, um, you know, really, really enjoying life, which is not really what was going on before. Mm -hmm. So it's, you just never know. You never know what kind of interaction is going to have a butterfly effect. Um, and that's something that is, you know, so true in my life because there, I've had interactions with hundreds of people in recovery Mm -hmm. over the last 16 years that have changed me. It's so powerful. Mm -hmm. Um, well, we, we always wrap the podcast up with talking about the big two, your greatest struggle in recovery, as well as your greatest triumph. Um, that's hard. hard It's really hard because, um, you know, and, and I, you, a lot of people will say that, you know, anything that they've gone through in recovery is easier than, you know, things that they went through in active addiction because they have a program of recovery and these spiritual tools. And I feel like that is absolutely true to a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think, um, I think I might've been under the impression when I came to treatment at Cumberland Heights that nothing bad was ever going to happen in my life again, well, because, you know, I was You're in, re- cured, right? right. I was in recovery <laughs> and I was cured and everything was going to be great. And I was never going to, you know, struggle and, Um, I think that lasted about three days and then (laughs) I realized that life is life and life happens. Um, so I, I, you know, to pick the greatest struggle is hard for me. Um, but I will, I'm going to pick one that happened in, in early recovery. And to me, early recovery was the first five years that I was in recovery because that was really, um, talk about a growth spurt, you Mm -hmm. know, and, and really growing up in public. Um, I, I got out of treatment. I got a sponsor, started working the steps. My sponsor's suggestion to me was do not get into a relationship in the first year that you are working on yourself and and working steps. Um, And I said, okay. And I I followed that suggestion. Now, once that year was up, I probably found the sickest person that I could find and decided to get in a relationship with them. And then a year later, get married. Um, So I, and I preface this by saying, um, I... 
had done quite a bit of work on myself, um, but I had quite a bit more work to do. Sure. And I think in my head, I was looking at recovery as a mathematical equation. At one year, I should be ready to get into a relationship with someone else instead of really looking inside and figuring out if I was really ready. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'll kind of throw that out there. Um, so I got into this relationship and, you know, I was head over heels in love. Here's somebody that's in recovery. They understand me. We share all of these, you know, we want to live this life of recovery together. We want to do, you know, we want to be of service. We, you know, share all these spiritual principles and understandings in the same language and all this great stuff. And several months into our relationship, there was some red flags, but um, I did not trust my intuition very much because um, I was just not in a place to do that, you know? Um, so I kind of ignored things. Basically he's what you would probably call a chronic relapser. I would probably call him, um, someone who never could quite get in recovery. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, he, he presented himself as something different. And, and later on I found out that he, he was using a lot. Um, so, but I was going to stick in there because we were in love and, you know, recovery, was going to work for him because it worked for me. And, you know, I wanted it enough for both of us. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, so there's, you can, there's a lot of things in there. There's some (laughs) codependency and some denial and all kinds of stuff. We decided that the best thing to do was to move from Tennessee to Arizona, because if we were in Arizona, we could, you know, start fresh and, you know, a geographical change always works. Right. Um, so we were going to do that. And he had this friend that had this great job for him and, you know, it was going to be perfect. And we were going to have this great, happy white picket fence life. So, um, I even went out there, flew out to Phoenix. We picked out a house to rent, all this great stuff. And, um, I came home, finished up, gave my two weeks at work, got the house packed up, got, you know, had a big yard sale, got everything. I was staying with my parents, um, because he was going to fly home and we were going to drive, my car out, um, to, to Arizona. So the day comes when he's supposed to arrive and I don't hear from him. And then I don't hear from him the next day. And then the voicemail on his cell phone is full. And so this went on for like, you know, five or six, seven, eight days. And then the bail bondsman is calling and saying, um, he was supposed to be here and this. And at that, that moment, um, my entire idea of life and what was going to happen came crashing in. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was luckily, um, I had a lot of support from my family. Um, I had a lot of support from my, you know, recovery, um, community, but that really was devastating for me. You know, I was, I was like maybe three, I think I was three years into recovery right around there when this happened. And I absolutely felt like it was one of those situations where, how could this happen to me? Mm-hmm. You know, I did everything that I was supposed mm-hmm. to do. I followed all the suggestions, you know, but when I examine it, I didn't follow all the suggestions because I didn't do the work on myself that I needed to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really hard. I mean, that was, that was a situation where I definitely had to seek outside help. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw a therapist that worked with me on, um, just an array of different things. It's very hard to divorce someone that you can't find. Mm-hmm. Um, and it takes a long time. And um, there's a lot of questions when you show up at places where you used to be with your husband and everybody wants to know where he is and you don't have you don't an answer. 
Um, but it also has proven to be a very useful piece of experience when I work with other people in recovery Mm -hmm. over the years, because when I share that story with people that have, um, other traumatic relationship issues, um, it is helpful for them to see that that didn't break me. And it brought you to your greatest trial. My greatest, my greatest triumph. Um, and I is my baby boy, Grayson Hawkeye. Um, he's 15 months old. And, um, he is my greatest gift of recovery and my miracle. And, um, you know, I never would have been able to be the mom that I am and, um, be, have the patience and the time to really be present, um, and work and, and do all this different stuff if I didn't have recovery. I mean, I use all of my spiritual principles in being a mom every day, you know, and, and I think recovery for me has helped me to understand what truly matters in life. Um, which it, which is relationships, you know, I'm, I'm here on this earth for however long to form relationships with other people, you know, my spirit wants to play with other people's spirits, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's what I'm here to do. And he is absolutely my greatest triumph. Plus, he's just the cutest. He really is. I mean, you're biased. I don't have to say it, but he really is the cutest. Oh, Jamie, thank you so much for sharing your story. It's been such a pleasure having you on. I think um, so many people can relate to many of the stories and experiences you had. And that's really important. And I hope that's what this podcast will continue to do for people out there. Absolutely. I think it's so important to offer different perspectives. There's so many different recovery experiences. And, and the more that we put those out there for people to hear, um, just the greater chance we have to touch someone and reach someone and and change their life. It's that butterfly effect all over again. Um, so I'm so glad. Thanks for asking me. And I'm so glad that you're doing this and it was super fun. Okay. Well, we'll be having many more guests to come. So please stay tuned for future episodes. And with that, we'll say thanks for listening and be well.